Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, you go to Fran in Chicago, it's true in New York. Things are boarded up. There wasn't the violence people predicted. It's like Y2K. So while there's places to talk about division, angst, etc., I can give you a list of things that we as Americans should be proud of. A record turnout, whether it was 68 million or so that voted for Donald Trump, or the 75 plus, if not 80 million that voted for Joe Biden. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is former mayor turned network political pundit extraordinaire Rahm Emanuel. Thank you for fitting us into your busy schedule between powerhouse roundtables at ABC. But frankly, Rahm, I couldn't think of anybody better this week because nobody knows national politics better than you. How are you? Better than the pollsters, I'll bet. <laughs> yeah, well, I think... Uh I'm, I think I'm good. I think the, I, but thank you for asking. But I also think more importantly, we got some, I think it's as you and I are talking right now, while it's not declared, we some, we do have some clarity to what's happening. And I think that's, uh, I think it's important. Um, obviously it's not breaking news that I'm for Joe Biden, having worked with him, uh, both in the Clinton and Obama white house and in Congress. And I think actually it's exactly what the country needs in a sense of healing and uh, call for unity and not just call, but somebody who's authentic about that. And I think that will be important for as we try to move into the future together. This is a fast changing situation, but where we stand right now in the battleground states is that former Vice President Biden has overtaken President Trump now in the counting in Pennsylvania and Georgia. And if that stands, it's over. He's planning to deliver a prime time mm -hmm. address. Do you expect your friend Joe Biden to come out and declare victory, or should he wait until the courts are done? My guess is um, if he's doing the prime time, it's not just, say, to be patient. So I think uh, there's a difference between asserting with being presumptuous. I think he's going to uh, basically uh, turn the, gently turn the page and start to point the road forward that what we have to do as a country, there'll be some more meat on the bones from a policy standpoint, less about delegate counts and more about COVID counts, if I look at it that way. And I think that's where uh, he'll go and what it means to reduce the delegate, uh, you know, the COVID counts. What does it mean to get the people back to work? That's how we measure our progress. And I think it's going to be more projecting into the future rather than trying to talk about just this moment. But, and then it's, you know, the thing that he has to do and he will do, because I think it's true and authentic to him, is, uh, and it's not about a specific policy, but it does, uh, it's about hearing and seeing each other. And I still believe that one of the most iconic pictures of this campaign was when he um, bumped in um, uh, Minnesota 
a protester at his event, and he said, I'm going to be your president too. And they laughed together, et cetera, because I think that captured, that's an unscripted moment, but it captured who Joe Biden is and what he's striving for, and I think people responded to it. Do you see any way that Joe Biden is not the next president of the United States? No, look, I mean, there's a lot of, um, there's still some, obviously, a lot of ballots to count. But when you look at that Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Nevada, just take those, he's gone from X amount of deficit to X amount of um, uh, ahead. And they're all, and they've been consistently trending like that for the last three days. You would have to have something to dramatic to happen to upend that. Um, and I really think, I mean, you and I are talking today on a Friday uh, uh, after early afternoon. It's more likely to see the president of the United States pick, uh, take North Carolina, uh, Joe Biden to have Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Nevada in his column. I happen to think he'll also get Arizona, but that's it. That's the one place, given the um, vote total and what's out and what's happened in recent memory, that you could say it's judgmental, but I still think it's tilting uh, Biden's favor. President Trump claimed victory in the early morning hours on Wednesday. He claimed without offering proof that he had won the election, that he was the victim of a massive fraud. His team has filed lawsuits in several states, and he made the same claim last night. In fact, the networks cut away from that news conference, Mm -hmm. including ABC. You're a student of American history in the presidency. Have you ever seen anything remotely like that before? I mean, I've seen, uh, I don't know, I've seen networks not give a president prime time because they didn't think the policy or the, the moment offered itself a sense of urgency like that. But to literally either pull away or not carry, I've never seen that given um, on something of this magnitude, which is where we're deciding the future uh, president of the United States. Never. I do think it's a, it's a, it tells you something, it's symbolic of something. And, you know, I do think he's come across as a desperate uh, loser. And I, you know, when you're going into recounts or whatever, usually you try to coordinate your legal and communication strategies so they're one and the same, head and tail of the same coin. I've never seen something this divergent. But it's also, it underscores why the country has turned to Joe Biden, because of that you couldn't imagine Biden talking about legitimate votes versus illegitimate uh, ballot. Uh, you just couldn't imagine that situation. I also think, you know, just to bring up something ironic, they're basically talking about vote by mail, that those ballots, because they weren't on election day, didn't count. And the irony is that President Trump, his daughter Ivanka and Jared all vote by mail. So the very ballots he's calling that citizens have voted by, the method they chose to vote, are the ones that he and his family is exercised. Did the networks do the right thing? Is what the president was saying dangerous to the country or incendiary? Are you at all concerned that what he's saying and doing is inciting his supporters? You know, I come at this slightly different than everybody else, which is look, I mean, you go Fran in Chicago, it's true in New York, things are boarded up. There wasn't the violence people predicted. It's like Y2K. 
the the big the big crash that never happened. There have been protesters of his, but they're minor. They're small. There was a big worry about irregularities from overseas intervention. The honest truth is, the FBI and the national and the security apparatus, the Homeland Security, Microsoft, protected the integrity of the system. So while there's places to talk about division, angst, etc., I can give you a list of things that we as Americans should be proud of: a record turnout, a record civic engagement in the future of the country. Whether it was 68 million or so that voted for Donald Trump, or the 75 plus, if not 80 million that voted for Joe Biden, the fact is our security apparatuses knew that in our uh, that the country, the integrity around the legitimacy of the election was important, and they kept foreign adversaries away. And then also the people that were all worried that there was going to be this election, this you know kind of in the streets violence. Crickets. So, yes, you can have some protesters, but that was people basically exercising their First Amendment right and respect. And now, I don't, I mean, they were raving, waving Trump flags and so on and so forth. But the truth is, if you step back and ask, we've had more elections, like when you think of Rutherford Hayes that went into the Congress, you think about the fact that Jefferson in 1800 went on numerous ballots against his own vice president, Alan Bur- uh, Aaron Burr. I mean, I have to go through all the history here. I actually think there's a lot of things that we could actually as a country point to and say and be proud of rather than all the things that you want to sit there. And, I think the outlier here is the president of the United States. The rest of the country's done pretty good. Is this a matter of sore loser-itis or narcissism gone wild, or does Trump have a point even remotely? No, I think this is Donald Trump's kind of posture. His whole life has been either I win or it's been stolen. It's his grievance politics. This is who he is. He plays the grievance card. It allows him to say in the same way that, you know, he said he had the biggest crowd, bigger than Obama. You know, he's the best, best president that black America ever had. You know, I mean, then he goes on to claim like this which is he didn't lose, it was stolen. And he gets to walk away with whatever diehard followers he has saying that this was not legit. And it's all about him and nothing to do with the country. Do you Even think he'll have to be dragged out of the White I mean, House or, or will there be a peaceful <laughs> no, transition as the Constitution demands? There'll be a, no, no, there'll be a peaceful transition. Somebody I mean, will Al get Gore Al Gore had a more legitimate claim. Al Gore had a more legitimate claim when they said stop counting the ballots. That that was actually when you go back, the Supreme Court was more unjust than anything else, and Al Gore said no in the interest of the country, we're gonna stop. But that but we're done, I'll respect the decision, although I don't agree with it. I think the Supreme Court committed an unjust act by stop ballot counting. I mean, that was, I've never seen something like that. It hasn't been repeated since. And they also yeah. knew that what they did was so, so, so wrong. They said this should not count or be a precedent for anybody else. I mean, it's like, whoa. So I think in this case, the president of the United States is true to his character and like consistently outside the norm of politics, which is why um, he's an outlier right now. 
how did the pollsters get this race so wrong? They had Biden just blowing out Trump. I thought they learned their lesson yeah. the last time and put in a correction factor for those closet Trump voters who clearly don't answer the phone for pollsters or don't tell them the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually think uh, that's a very, very good question. And I think that I would say that, um, and what's amazing to me, because every, look, I'm not a pollster, but out of 10 polls, there's always one kind of, hmm, got it wrong. There's something wrong in the poll. I mean, you take Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, any one of those states, there's close to 10 to 15,000 interviews just in the last two weeks. That's a, a lot to get wrong. Let alone, you know, um, the national surveys. Um, and so I think one of the things that they did not do and uh, is reformulate the poll on the assumption that there was a, a greater Trump turnout than they were saying that, you know, I don't mean talking like this, but that working class white voters would um, uh, show up. I mean, the president had a theory of the case going back literally after 2016, which was there was 20 million plus people that look and vote and act like Trump people, quote unquote. Um, and I'm going to get them to show up. And everybody, including me, scoffed at the idea that you could run a, a government and an election without trying to build out from your base. And he turned out, I don't think it, I think what he's done to the country is not irreparable, but horrible damage. I think his policies are wrong. All that said, you have to at some level admire. Um, he almost, even with a nine, with a, Nine percent unemployment rate, a devastating COVID. He almost pulled off something that I never thought was possible. I don't think it's right. I think it's horrible for the character of the country, and the damage will take us years and decades to rebuild from. That says, as purely as a person who observes and practices in the art of politics, you have to somewhat begrudgingly admire it. Yeah, I mean, in spite of the economic devastation, in spite of the fact that so many people don't like the way he personally has handled the pandemic or his style, and the fact that he had coronavirus too. Yeah, Fran, it's more than style. I don't like look. FDR after the depression faced a divided country. Lincoln is faced a civil war. McKinley, because of technology, urbanization, immigration, faith, and the Robin Barons, faced a divided country. Jefferson, also, just we always have divisions because we're not monolithic. We're a heterogeneous uh, society. But at key moments when that current of division bubble up to really divisive, we have been fortunate in our history to have a president who then has found a way to heal up. This is a president who's, when those divisions boiled up, stoked those fires for his own personal political advantage at the expense of America's advantage. And that is different. And so it's not just style. 
It is substantively wrong. His style is the substance, and it's wrong for America. It was good for him, but it was bad, very unhealthy for America. In Florida, I was really surprised. How did he turn that around? Was it just the Cuban vote in Miami? How did he? How did he win Florida? Well, look, we're early. Two things I would take note. So I'm not ready to conclusively say, but remember in 2018 when you had this wave election, the uh, Republic of Florida was resistant to it. Elected a Republican governor. Uh, knocked off an incumbent uh, Democratic senator with the what was then the Republican governor who won the Senate seat. So um, at one level, it's not surprising. The other level is, I mean, you got to look at what he did, not only in the Cuban American community, but I'm beginning to see results coming out of uh, other parts in the Puerto Rican community. He did better among a different uh, Hispanic See, and part of that is around small business, family, faith, the difference. That, I mean, that he just needed to do a little better in the way when you look at how Joe Biden won. He did it better with um, working class votes. He did better with seniors. He did better with independents, moderate voters. So he got places. He got votes that Democrats have traditionally not done well at. But uh, when you look at it and you look at Florida, um, there's no doubt that the um, difference, um, whether it's Venezuelan, Central American, Cuban, the President of the United States did really well with uh, different um, components of the, what we call Hispanic community. The DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee that you once ran when you engineered the 2006 Democratic takeover of the House, they... Mm -hmm. Uh, failed miserably under the leadership of Sherry Bustos and Nancy Pelosi. They predicted they would gain more than a dozen seats, I believe. They ended up losing, what was it, seven seats. What went wrong for them? And what about Nancy Pelosi? Is she in any trouble in the upcoming election for speaker? No, she's not in trouble. She'll win handily, the, uh, and there won't even be a discussion of challenger or not. Um, Look, I mean, first of all, uh, you have a lot of members, uh, they spoke about it in the caucus. Uh, in, look, you got to start with the premise. Go back in 2018. This map is rigged from redistricting. And I don't think people fully appreciated that in 2018, like we did in 20, 2006, the Democrats hit the wall. Combination was set not to be um, picked. I don't know what that noise is in the background, but um, it was not to be picked. They picked it. These are hard, hard districts. Um, and in a national election, you are less in control of your fate than you think. Um, so uh, while I know they were thinking they were going to win because they thought also there would be like in we, 06, we made a lot of wins. 08, we won when President Obama was running even more. Um, they thought there was going to be a national election with a national oomph. So if you bifurcated it at one level, this was clearly a repudiation, if Joe Biden wins, which I think he will, a repudiation of Trump. In the places that Democrats uh, did not do as well as they did or lost some incumbents, 
this was, you know, these, there was a race about labeling Democrats as uh, socialists, talking, hitting them on certain policies that were in these swing marginal districts, which means they are not about the extremes of either party. They're about right down um, a little more in the center. And Democrats have to have the right candidate with the right message. And they were, in this case, two um, being labeled and targeted in uh, defense for a whole host of things that had nothing to do with the district, but had to do with images about uh, the party. And so that happened. On the other hand, I, I think you have to start with the premise, as I believe, this map is designed for Republicans. It was written by them. What You've been preaching that centrist message for decades. So did Bill Clinton, who you work for. So are they right in well, uh, Abigail Spanberger during that angry phone call said, don't ever mention the word socialist or socialism again? Well, here's my thing. Uh, it, you know, look, step back. And I would say this, that Bill, again, we're talking, it hasn't been declared. So you got to respect, if you're going to say count the votes, you got to respect the process, but I'm going to project forward. I believe that Joe Biden's going to win, you know, for all of us who want to see progressive policies, you know, the first step is winning the election. It's just how the process works. You can have the best policy, but if you can't win an election, it stays on the shelf. There's a lesson to be learned nationally. One, Jeremy Corbyn ran on the Labor Party on a very hard social, embracing socialist left. Boris Johnson had the best win ever for the conservatives. The Democrats put forward a guy, a reformer. There were people that were talking about a more revolutionary, more bold agenda. They didn't win the primary. A lot of people attacked Joe Biden for bipartisanship, thinking about an era where we can work together. They said, oh, that's a bygone era. You don't understand the Washington. And his idea of the character of the country, the soul of the country, they ridiculed it. Now, Jared and Ming Corbin lost. Joe Biden won. We have lessons to be learned. Now, here's the thing. The lesson is what? The lesson is what? Joe Biden, you have to win elections to move your agenda. And when you win, to win an election, you have to be thoughtful both about the campaign you run, the candidates you put forward, and the policies they highlight. Joe Biden didn't come out for Medicare for all. Joe Biden in the last debate said, no, I don't have, I'm not for the Green New Deal. I have the Biden climate plan. So if you win, you get a bigger chance of getting your climate plan passed. If you have the best climate plan and you lose, then you're not, you're not advancing the progressive cause. So you got to be smart about this and understand uh, we have two models here. We can learn from both of them. Even in the failure of Corbin, you can learn what happened there. And then the lesson is you have to recruit the right candidates that fit the district on the congressional level. It's not an accident that in Colorado and Arizona, two of the Senate candidates that won and took seats, both knocking off incumbent Republicans, would not call themselves from the extreme wing of the party, but we're centrist, moderate. And I just think there's lessons here that if you, and they will be good votes for democratic policy priorities. You got not but this first step to see those policies implemented, you have to win elections. 
And, you know, that is the first step. And some people, you know, uh, in the party attack both Barack Obama and Bill Clinton as were too moderate. They were too willing to compromise. Well, you know, both of them, Bill Clinton did uh, Kyoto, first climate change agreement by the country. Barack Obama did Paris. Bill Clinton and Barack Obama both left the tax code a lot more progressive than they found it. Both Barack Obama and Bill Clinton uh, did dramatic changes for uh, expanding health care in the country. Now, a lot of people attack them as, you know, throwbacks to another era. They weren't really true progressives. Well, I don't know. Barack, Bill Clinton's the first Democrat since Franklin Delano Roosevelt to win re-election. Barack Obama uh, is the first African-American president. Both were unbelievably, in my view, electorally successful and much very successful in advancing progressive ideals of inclusion economics. And you got to win election. With the Senate likely to remain in Republican hands, do you expect Uh Biden to curtail his ambitious agenda? And in what way will he have to cut it back? Look, I mean, there's a series of things you weigh equities all the time. Um, you know, and you make decisions about what's an A, what's a B, what, what do you have to really get done? I don't expect him to change his stripes on health care. I expect him uh, and, and to pull his uh, ambitions back. But I definitely this. My guess is he will not have the United States government defending ripping up the ACA from the Supreme Court. They're going to switch the positions immediately. He'll be sending his note to the uh, Supreme Court justice. We are no longer uh, defending and advocating the policy of throwing the ACA out and then it's unconstitutional. And I do think in the big deals, he will talk to McConnell about what it's going to take to expand health care. My guess is health care will happen in a big way. But take climate change. The idea that you're going to do major climate with Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, not going to happen. Yeah. But not going to happen. What about a federal stimulus? No, wait a second. Wait a second. No, but that doesn't, no, that's not what you do. Then you go and say, okay, I want to read I'm going to rejoin Paris, put America back in Two, right now. We have a broken cafe standards for auto industry. One of the big contributors towards America's greenhouse gas reductions that doesn't require congressional action. So Joe Biden can do a lot on reducing greenhouse gas emissions, both without the Senate, without that, and that client, and through the CAFE standards and through Paris Agreement, that you can then make major contributions on climate change without having to uh, put, make that a capital expense in the legislative body. He can do things through executive management on methane release from fracking that will have a major contribution to reducing America's greenhouse gas, especially as we switch from coal to natural gas. So that what about become a federal a stimulus a bill, an infrastructure bill, and a tax cut? What about those? Friend, friend, all those. Here's what I'm saying. You don't just go, go and you can't just do silos. Then you look at it and say, okay, if I can take a lot on climate action and figure out how I do it administratively without legislation, it doesn't make you trade climate change against health care, against taxes, against daycare, against early child. You know, that means you've done certain things that don't you're not negotiating against yourself, I suppose, is a more eloquent way to say it. Because, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. When I was advising President Obama after the stimulus, et cetera, 
And after the tariff, I said, we should be doing financial reform for a whole host of political reasons. And I thought you could get big things done. He chose to do health care first. And I think it had, uh, he got it done. So it's other things that didn't get done. And those are choices, you know, as to quote President Kennedy, to govern is to choose. How many times have you heard me say that to you? A million. I've heard it a million times. Okay. You love, you love yeah, that. You don't even want to hear it. But that's, no, but I think it because it's telling, because it's not like it's the reality of making these decisions, not in a vacuum, but with real, you know, presidents have to, and their staffs, or if you're in a chief, you have to make a set of governing choices. And you can't, everything is not an A. If everything's an A, nothing matters. So the real question is, what, what do I, what can I get done? What can I do without having to burden the rest of my legislative agenda that I can take in executive wise and still get done that are major policy goals, but don't require me to negotiate against myself. When, you know, Mitch McConnell just yesterday said, I plan on setting the agenda. I mean, he has a very, he knows where he sits, but I happen to think people should remember it was Joe Biden who negotiated with Mitch McConnell after the 2012 election by a uh, reelection by Barack Obama, the tax policy, that personal relationship. And this too, you've heard me talk about having a personal relationship of trust, even when you disagree, allows you to have a conversation uh, without having to get warmed up. You can just sit down because you're known to each other. Nobody nobody expects Donald well, Trump to just fade away into the woodwork and forfeit his gigantic megaphone on Twitter. Do you expect him to be and continue to be a force in American politics? I've even heard that he might start his own conservative network to rival Fox. What do you think he's going to do? Well, there's no doubt, I think, given that Fox uh, ran the first thing, I think he is very, I think if I were, I'd love to be a fly on the wall among Trump and the Fox people, because there's no doubt he feels betrayed by them. And boy, would that be a meeting I would like to go to. Um, uh, that said, um, Donald Trump is too much of a narcissist to just walk away and work on his golf swing. My guess is he will continue to play an outsized role in the Republican party and continue to shape it as, uh, a party of Donald Trump. How with a network? Nobody asking me. I'm not, I'm not a student of. I mean, I just think that you start with Donald Trump's a narcissist egotist, and he'll do whatever he thinks advances Donald Trump. And my guess Biden is he's is, not going to work on his golf swing. Biden is deep into transition planning. He's been doing it for months. Do you see a role for yourself in his administration? We've talked sometimes about the role of U.S. trade representative and how important that might be. Would you be interested no. in joining a Biden administration in any I'm, I'm enjoying, capacity? Um, I've already answered this. I'm enjoying my private life, enjoying what I'm doing. <clears throat> and, and do you, you expect... Never Go ahead. You never no. say never? I mean, if the president, if if, no, if the president calls, that's one thing, but I don't expect that. And I'm, I'm actually quite happy with what I'm doing and the good balance that I've found in my life. Any job that appeals to you within that administration? No. Don't what talk about, about me, friend. You want me to talk? 
What about what Bernie about Sanders and Elizabeth Warren? Do you expect them to be part of the cabinet? She wants uh, Treasury Look, Secretary. You, I, everything you got to know, friend, is you got to get confirmed. It's now a Republican Senate, so everything that everybody was talking prior to election has to be recalibrated, number one. Number two, both those senators come from states with Republican governors. So I would be, I can't predict what the Biden administration will do, but I doubt that they will pull a Democratic senator out of a state with a Republican governor. I, it can be done. I just don't see it. Do you All expect right. President Trump to issue a uh, one more question. Do you expect him to issue a flurry of pardons on his way out the door? Uh, and do you think he might even pardon himself prophylactically? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't even know if you're allowed to or could do that. But I do think, um, you know, I know, look, there's a lot, of, the law and the courts will take their proper course. Um, and they will, you know, what Vance does in New York vis-a-vis if tax fraud was committed, he's going to investigate that. My view is stay away from it. Let the law and the courts and if there was crimes committed or, bre- or breaking the law, they'll figure that out and they'll study it and go do it. I know that Joe Biden's focus is going to be about getting this country moving again. Okay. okay. Graham Emanuel, thank you so much, sir, for joining us. I know you're busy. Hi. Um, I hope you get some sleep sometime this week, too. Mm-hmm. And we will see you all next week. Thank you, Fran.